You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Are you a diehard comic book collector? Or maybe a lapsed fan? Maybe even someone who has never picked up a comic book in their life. Hi, I'm Remso Martinez. And I'm Mark Clare. Every single Wednesday at the Second Print Comics Podcast, Remzo and I take a deep dive into the storylines, character arcs, moments, and events that made us the fans we are today. Tune in every Wednesday for new episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else podcasts are available. Check out more from the Second Print Comics Podcast at secondprintcomics.com. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. Folks, welcome back. This is probably the second podcast I have recorded here since I moved from God's country, Virginia, out to the Midwest here in Wisconsin. Things are finally looking pretty settled. I'm settled in at work at the Badger Institute. I'm settled in with my daily routines and everything else. And my apartment looks like a place where somebody actually lives and not just a you know, a giant room where I stored a bunch of my crap. And um, it, it's been a wild year, especially if you've been a longtime listener. You'd certainly know that this was not where I expected myself to be mid-2021, but it, it's where I am. Uh, there was a bit of a moment where uh, I, I, I was really I, I was really confused about where the future of the show was going because I was out of work and then I was working and then I switched careers. And um, for, for those of you that are new listeners, you understand that. I'm sorry. For those of you that are new listeners, you won't understand this. But for those of you that are new listeners, this show is basically a long-form version of me cataloging my way towards achieving financial independence and early retirement by the age of 30. Everything we do is basically, you know, another day chronicling that journey. And the one thing that I really want us to do to separate this show from others is to really focus less on the political factors, less on the factors of things that are outside of our control, and really try and focus on the things that we can control. How we earn money, developing other sources of income, staying out of debt, learning new skills, all those things we need to do to become the best individuals who can be, so that way we have more time and more options in our life. Because if you don't have time and options, it doesn't even matter how much money you have, you're barely free. Uh, But as of late, it's hard to not talk about the things outside of our control. There was an election. Elections have consequences. And now we're here. And what I don't like is when I am posting content online and we get these people who fall into what I call doomsday syndrome. You see it from the cryptocurrency guys. You see it from the guys selling you gold. You see it from the preppers. And it's basically the same thing I've heard almost my entire life. The federal government is printing us into extinction. They're spending out of control. They're doing all these things. And why would you invest in the stock market? Why would you do any of these things expecting there to be a tomorrow when everything shows there's not going to be a tomorrow? And do I understand the fear? Yeah. I'd be lying if I said I don't have that fear sometimes, but we can't invest in doomsday because that's just that that's not how you live. And as much as we as libertarians might look at the federal government and we all basically know that this a lot of what's going on is, you know, unstable. 
I still, at the end of the, of the day, believe that they are going to preserve themselves in a way. Because if we're going to this doomsday scenario, as some of you may think, you're basically betting that the United States is not going to be here in our lifetime. At which point, none of this stuff will matter at that point because we've got bigger problems. But what I am saying is that through all these things, there will still be a United States Things may be different. Things may be harder, but I don't think we're going to doomsday anytime soon. I could be completely wrong. I wanted to bring on somebody who's been understand, who's been um, you know writing and trying to get people to understand what's going on with the Federal Reserve, what's going on with the Biden administration and spending. <clears throat> we have Craig Ironman from the Independence. Craig, thank you for joining the program. Thank you, Rex. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Craig, I'll just put it bluntly. Is the is the is it's the nation as we know it going to completely implode within the next election cycle? Let's say. Oh, I think we're safe. We're not going to <laughs> or implode or however you want to plug. So, um, when it when it comes to what's going on with the Federal Reserve, I understand that for a lot of you know just politically apathetic people, they're finally learning about inflation. Um, of course, inflation is something that we have to worry about, but it, it seems that when it comes to a lot of folks, especially within conservative media, they think that we're just one bad day away from a Venezuela type of scenario. You kind of want to break down what's been going on recently with that. Well, I mean, you can actually you know, trace the latest uh, surge in uh, spending and Federal Reserve you know, money printing type activity to the onset of the uh, coronavirus pandemic in the U.S., you over the last year, um, with you know the various state and local governments you know, imposing lockdowns and basically shutting down uh, large portions of the economy, it's uh, created a lot of pain. And to compensate for that pain, uh, you know the government has printed a lot of money to you know, keep people with the ability to you know, keep a roof over their heads, uh, to be able to keep eating, that sort of thing. A lot of people who have been you know displaced because of the pandemic lockdowns. And with that, uh, the U.S. government has, you know, really cranked out, you know, the sheer amount of spending it's doing. Um, it's had to go out and borrow. I, I just checked the numbers this morning on this. Uh, total amount they've uh, had to borrow over just the uh, last you note know, since uh, since the end of uh, February of uh, 2020, they've had to borrow uh, 4.9 trillion dollars. Um, and the Federal Reserve's role in that is that they're basically the uh, primary banker, the primary Uncle Sam's primary creditor. Uh, they've loaned uh, the federal government 75% of what it's borrowed. And when it comes to, you know, the, the, the pandemic as a whole, like nobody, I don't think anybody ever intended for things to get as hairy as they did when it came to state governments and the federal government. I, I do in some way feel kind of bad for Jerome Powell. I don't know. I like, and you know, that's going to make a lot of people's ears bleed, but I feel like if anybody is the person who has basically admitted, I have no clue what's going on. It's, it, it's Jerome Powell because he went on several interviews. I think he went on, uh, you know, uh, state the nation, whatever show is on a uh, CBS on Sundays, face the nation. Uh, I think he went on face the nation a couple weeks ago and he did another interview with Chuck Todd recently. And then he went on with somebody from ABC and he basically said the same thing each time when he was asked, um, did you ever intend for inflation to hit the rate at which we're 
hitting it right now. And he literally said, I, I had no clue. And then they're like, what are you doing to control it? He's like, oh, there's nothing we can really do to control it at this point. Be- because when, when, when certain people, especially I'll say on the right side of the spectrum when it comes to politics, they see the Federal Reserve as something that is trying to destroy the dollar. But in reality, that's not necessarily... That, that's not the truth. They know that each time they inflate the currency, it's devaluing it as a, you know, a, as a whole, but they're not doing it in a way because they have some type of like legion of doom scenario where it's like, we're going to do this to go ahead and destroy the United States. No, if anything, Jerome Powell especially has tried to say, you know, we, we have to do this or else we're going to see a whole lot of other problems, especially with our spending. So he sees it in, in a way where it's like, I have to do this or else we're going to collapse. And then you have his critics where they're like, because you're doing this, we're going to collapse. At the end of the day, I think that things are going to become more difficult. Obviously, they have for middle and lower class Americans. The buying power is lesser now than it was a year ago. But at the same time, it's like, you know, the, the Fed is not out to destroy the country, despite its actions having an adverse reaction on the dollar. Um, you know, and that's a fair statement. I mean, a lot of what the Fed's tried to do over the years with its inflation policy is try to you know, smooth out, um, you know, the, say the bumps that would come from um, you know, just regular, you know, the, the regular boom and bust cycle of the uh, of the economy. Um, by the strategy, and this is, I'm not sure, you know, kind of get into the way the Fed actually thinks about this. Is you now they have this uh, inflation target. They try to hit like you know, an a- a- annual you know, inflation rate of uh, you know two percent a year. And their idea behind that is okay. Well, this you no know, lets people you know keep in their jobs, keeps things relatively stable without you know, overinflating things. Uh, but it, it's also two percent inflation. It's also you know weakening the dollar over time in terms of uh, what it can purchase. And the whole thing hinges on, you know, how fast does the economy grow? How fast does productivity grow? Um, that's the thing that offsets, you know, your, the ability of, of the Fed's inflation policy. The more productivity you have, the better off you are. The less productive you are. And, you know, this last year has been a pretty good example of that. Um, you know, you end up with uh, inflation and you know, being able to kind of, you know, run ahead of the uh, economy on it. Yeah, and in, in a strange way, I think it's I think it's funny that for a lot of just everyday people I know who really don't like to watch the news that are not nerds like us actually, you know, trying to understand what they're doing. Uh, the, the fact that, you know, I have cousins and friends and stuff who are the most politically apathetic people, they suddenly know who Jerome Powell is. That That's kind of funny in a way. And I, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but at least they know who, who Oh, it's who never is. a good thing when your name gets no, if you're a bureaucrat and your name becomes public, it is never a good thing. Yeah. But in, in like a strange way, I think, I think Joe Rogan said it on his show the other day, like America has no leader. And I think for the past year, like for a lot of people, they, they you know, they, they went to Fauci when it came to the pandemic and then they're like, you know, Trump's not a leader. It's going to be Biden. I, I think in a weird way, it's almost like Jerome Powell, is probably the most powerful man in America. Because let, let's just go ahead and look at Trump and look at Biden. They, I, I don't think they have a very different view of the role of the Federal Reserve in terms of how it affects our the way our government spends and how it's impacting your average American. 
mostly because I don't really think either of them have a strict view on it. So you have these politicians who are in Congress and in the Senate, and they don't want to go ahead and pass legislation ever to go ahead and increase taxes. They don't want that on their back. So when they go ahead and they throw these spending bills out there, and then you've got Trump signing omnibus bills, and you've got uh, Biden signing spending bills and everything else, they're like, well, you know, the the Fed will go ahead and uh, do, do what's proper. They'll do what's necessary to go ahead and print the money. And then you've got Jerome Powell basically saying, well, you know, if they authorize it, we're going to go ahead and print it. But at the same time, it's like when you read his reports, when you see his briefings, when you see him do these interviews, he, he's not one of these people where it's like, ah, we're going to keep spending and I love printing money. Half the time he's like, this is, this is outside of my control at that point. Like you, you well, expect go, me to I'll give you these answers, further. but it's not happening. Yeah. I'll go a step further. He, he has actually flat out said that you know, the uh, U.S. government's fiscal policy is on an unsustainable path. It is you know, the spending is far outstripping the ability of you know, the government to be able to avoid problems in the future, um, especially with respect to the national debt. What, what would it take for Powell or for, for the board of the Federal Reserve to even tell the Senate or tell the president we can't do this. Do they even have the ability to at least offer that criticism? Like, hey, you guys keep authorizing all this spending. Here's the negative reaction. Or do they just say, okay, you want more, you want more printed? We'll just go ahead and keep doing it. Well, in theory, they do. In theory, the Federal Reserve is supposed to be an independent uh, body uh, that is able to you know, not be addressed, not, not be able to be you know, sucked into the politics of the day. That it should be able to you know, be able to you know, number one show some backbone, number two set policy independently of whatever it is that the uh, you know, the federal government itself is doing, uh, to be able to you know, put to be able to meet its mandate. In other words, you know, be able to uh, set a path forward toward you know, price stability and maximum employment, which are the two things that the Fed is you know, directed by the Congress to do. Uh, with respect to that, um, in practice, we, we, it's a political institution. Um, Donald Trump you know, pretty much had uh, you know, Jerome Powell's number. Uh, for, and for years, uh, this would, you know, anytime he didn't like anything that, uh, that the Fed was doing, I mean, he sent out tweets about it. And eventually that, you know, the Fed would kind of, you know, buckle, give in a little bit and, be able to and would proceed with uh, you know, kind of a long policy along the lines of what Trump wanted. Now, things are a little bit different with the uh, state of the coronavirus pandemic. You have a lot more integration between the U.S. Treasury and the uh, Federal Reserve. And it's to the point where, you know, the former chair of the uh, Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen, is running the U.S. Treasury. Uh, she has the ability from her years of contacts at the uh, Fed to just pick up the phone, talk to people there, and be able to execute whatever you know, policy, say, the Biden administration decides it wants to go forward with. With, with, with that said, I mean, I, I, I find it funny because a lot of really smart people I know are finally paying attention to these outside institutions. And, you know, it, it, I, I feel... You know, I, I almost feel like a lot of people are a day late and dollar short to the dance. I had to explain to somebody the other day that the Federal Reserve is neither federal or real reserve. <laughs> it's, a, it's a private institution that has the ability to go ahead and print fiat on demand. 
Now, um, kind of stepping to the side for a little bit, um, you know, I, I'm not one of those people that thinks that within my lifetime, we're going to abolish the Federal Reserve. We're not even going to audit it. I think it is a permanent institution. It's never going away. And that we either have to learn to live with it or, you know, adapt our way, our, our way of life in a radical way that's going to be extremely inconvenient for your regular American because th- this, is, this is the way of the world, regardless of, as to what all the cryptocurrency guys say, you know, fiat is here to stay and the dollar, unless something happens if like the petrodollar or something else or like, um, you know, the, the Saudis and everyone else want a different oil-backed currency, you know, the, the dollar is basically not going anywhere. Would, would you agree with that or disagree with that? I would generally agree with that. I mean, the Federal Reserve as an institution, um, it's ingrained at this point. Uh, too many, I, w- I would say that you know, too many organizations rely on the services it provides on what it does, uh, you know, just within the banking you know, industry itself. Um, and with respect to you know, what's possible for it, um, it's, you know, the, the one thing you could hope for it would be for you know, some degree of reform. And that reform ideally would take the reform of uh, limiting the scope of what it does. What what would need to be done for something like that to happen? Well, um, I, I guess you no. Know, like a lot of you know, organizations, is particularly you know within the government, you have the uh, problem of uh, mission creep. Uh, this is where you know over time, you know, different government agencies that start taking on more and more responsibilities further afield from uh, what they're you know, set up to do. Um, in the case of Fed, in the case of the Federal Reserve, you're dealing with you know, the Biden administration basically saying, okay, we want you to implement our, uh, you know, our climate policies. Um, we also want the Federal Reserve to, uh, to uh, you know, fix, uh, say, structural racism uh, within, the, uh, within the country. Um, Are people actually saying that? Uh, racism? It actually is a thing, yes. What? Well, well, I believe you. It's just sad that we're at that point where that's actually a thing. It's a it's a thing in the sense that you have to go back to the history of uh, of the uh, banking industry, and you would have to go back to the 1930s to the Great Deal uh, when the FDR brought in a bunch of uh, people from the Deep South, Southern Democrats who basically are the ones who created what a practice called redlining. And basically that was how uh, they were able to impose or implement some degree of segregation in Northern cities. So you would literally, they would literally draw lines on the map saying, you know, in, in red, okay, well, you can only have, you know, black people live in this area and this area will be reserved for whites. And that's one of the processes, what the, when people talk about structural or systemic racism, that's one of the ways it was achieved. Wow. Wow. Now, to um, the extent that, you, that undoing that takes no investment, that's a legitimate, legitimate role for the Federal Reserve to uh, play. Uh, but in, in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of what we're talking about and say, say, full reparations, that sort of thing, that would be far afield from what the Federal Reserve should ever be expected to do. 
Oh yeah, I mean the 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 ability to even accomplish that. It's like I never I never took anyone seriously who said they were going to do that. And for everyone that was like, "Oh, look what they want to do! They want to do that." I'm like, "There's no there's no feasible way they're they're actually going to achieve that." I mean, we saw how easily like a house of cards Biden and Schumer folded on student debt, and that was one of the big things that they kept screaming they were going to go ahead and bail out once you know Biden became president. So, I mean, mm-hmm. we, we deal with these lofty promises in, in terms of just, you know, the, the scope of which they're willing to cause damage. And maybe maybe it's a different in, it's a difference in worldview because, you know, you have the Keynesians, you have the people that are typically pro Fed and they're like, you know, as the dollar inflates, uh, the American economy and the global economy will adjust to that. While you know, while the value of things will go ahead and increase, we're going to have to go ahead and create an economy that can sustain and balance that level of inflation out. They don't actually see it as something that's going to be like incredibly destructive. But then, you know, you have the opposite side of it, which is they don't understand what they're doing. They don't have control over it. And we're heading towards a Venezuela or Zimbabwe scenario. Now, what was going on with those central banks is much more different than how it is done here in the United States. Not that it's not something within the realm of possibility. Everything is. But what you look at what Chavez was doing, what you look at what Maduro ended up doing, the, the, the lines of separation keeping like the heads of state from going and basically ordering the, the, the more printing of money, um, that – that's not something that's the case here in the United States. I think regardless of administration, you wouldn't have anyone basically saying, just keep printing, keep printing, keep printing, keep printing. Now, do I think that they will advocate for more printing? Yeah. My biggest fear is that within the next couple cycles, especially for presidential candidates, we're going to get a point where we have both Republicans and Democrats on stage basically saying, and this is this might just be me being paranoid, the best way to get out of our national debt is to just print it out of existence. I think that is a, a real discussion and a real talking point that both Republicans and Democrats will have. But when that day comes, I really don't think anyone wants to be the president or the figurehead that went ahead and pulled the trigger on that. So with all that to say, do you think we're heading towards a Venezuela or Zimbabwe scenario within the near future? Um, not Even within our lifetime. Not, and I would argue against our, within you know, our lifetimes either. Um, and simply you know, from the starting point of you know, as you know, institutionally, uh, the United States is in a lot better scenario than, say, your your, your Hugo Chavez and Nicolas Maderos in Venezuela and else and Zimbabwe and other places in the world that have experienced no hyperinflation within the recent decades. Why is that? Uh, for to a large measure, uh, because the United States is still a federal system. Uh, you have checks and balances uh, built within it so that you don't have the ability to impose full alignment on uh, on things just because you're, you're not, not going to have the ability to run roughshod over whatever policy you want to implement. Um, let's say let's say Corona, the sequel comes out and we end up locking down and artificially halting the economy once again. Do you think that it is possible that should that occur, the Fed will say, we already had to print X amount of dollars last time. There's no way that we could 
have that happen again. Because if there's one thing that I do think is within the realm of possibility, it's that when the Biden administration does something wrong or when the levels of trust with him, within him as a, you know, him as the leader of our, of our country go ahead and drop, I, I do actually think that something I don't know if it'll be a virus. I don't know if it'll be something else, but they'll declare something a pandemic. They'll declare a national emergency and they're going to lock us down again to try and get people to calm down and to try and get people to basically stop doing what they're doing. I mean, we, we already saw what happened over the last year. And when the government goes ahead and takes any type of power from the people, they never give it back. I, I think what we're going to begin to see is like the Corona equivalent of the TSA that this is just going to be something that we should expect to happen more often than not. And I guess my only hope in that scenario, maybe we can even call that a doomsday scenario because there's some people who are saying, no, it's too unpopular. He wouldn't want to do that because then that would certainly ensure that he gets voted out, that the Fed would basically say, we, we, can't, we can't do more than what we're doing. There's got to be a stopping point at some point. And, and to be fair, I mean, that's where the federal system comes in very, very useful or handy in being able to prevent something like that from happening. I mean, a really good evidence of that is, you know, the interaction between, say, President Trump and Governor Cuomo in New York uh, back in the early months of the uh, pandemic arriving in the U.S., especially in New York, which, you know, you know became the national epicenter for it, Um President Trump was wanting to say, you know, shut down international travel coming in and out of uh, New York. Governor Cuomo wasn't having anything of it. Um, you know, you can make the argument there that, you know, if, if he had gone along with it or if the situation on the ground within New York hadn't deteriorated so quickly, um, that may never have happened. But it, ultimately, um, the thing is, is that, you know, different people in different places at different times had different needs with respect to what was going on there. It made absolutely no sense to set a nationwide lockdown. It wouldn't in the future either. Yeah, I mean, I think as more people begin to really remember that there's this difference in levels of power between the federal government and the states, and even you know how the Fed interacts with the executive branch and things like that. It's like people are suddenly starting to realize that this grand concept that we're going to have just this unitarian central control that's going to either you know just lock us down unilaterally again, or just continue to print like it's no like like you know it's nobody's business. Um, you know we're we're going to see some resistance to that. I, I still think we're going to see another lockdown very soon. I felt I don't know if it'll be to the same scope of which we had it in 2020. But I do think that's something that will either be threat we will either be threatened with or something that could happen, whether it's through corona or something else, it, it's certainly there. But um I, I mean I'm not, you know, I might I'm not spending all my money on like, you know, non-perishable food and guns at this point. I don't think we're at <laughs> doomsday levels yet. And this is where when it comes to, to kind of shift things a little bit, um, when it comes to trust in the dollar, I mean, I'm probably a terrible libertarian when I say, you know, if the dollar is not the world standard, there is no America. And if you have no America, there is there, there are bigger problems at play. You know, when 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 you had the Fed going up and just printing trillions of dollars, you saw the price of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies go ahead and just shoot as high as they've ever been. Because when you have distrust in the dollar, that's what gives these other alternative currencies more credibility. 
Now what you have right now are you have people that are looking over the past year and a half and they have some pretty valid grievances. We're printing out of control, but Jerome Powell doesn't even know what he can do to stop the rate of which we're printing right now and increasing inflation past the marks that even they predicted. Um, we're we're going to get to the point where we're going to see other countries begin to drop the dollar. I mean, we just recently had um, Russia. They went ahead and dropped all their dollarized assets that were tied to, you know, the, the U.S. We saw that El Salvador, and I, I'm I'm really skeptical as to how they're going to go ahead and actually put this into effect. They're treating Bitcoin as legal tender. So, you know, I'm not. I don't ever want to advocate for people to completely dodge the dollar. When Trump went on Fox a couple of weeks ago and he said, I don't like this Bitcoin, it goes against the dollar, we should go ahead and bet on the dollar. Um, you know, I understand a lot of people were like, well, you know, he's a boomer nationalist. We shouldn't listen to him. He has no clue what he's talking about. But I do think that he has a, a you know, a, a, a basic understanding of what it is. And when he said, I think we should just focus on the dollar, um, I, I, some, some, some of me agrees with him because when we're not using the dollar, when the dollar is not treated the way it is domestically and globally, we as a nation are going to have problems that truthfully I really don't want. I mean, yeah. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I do, I do, I do appreciate the arguments there. There is going to be a dollar of some kind or another, and you know, kind of the interesting wrinkle there, and this is one of the things that you know, would be an interesting you know, thing for the Fed to take on, would be to develop its own you know, digital currency uh, that would be a competitor within this environment. The you know that would be you know that the more most libertarian argument I can make in there, and I'll have you know have the dollar be a dollar slash you know whatever the Fed digital currency comes out with. I think they want to call it like Fed coin or something. Well, yeah, I don't like that one, but let's call it so that. so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> yeah, and you know that's that's kind of the argument there. But you know, you can you can make the argument there is that you know we're actually you know you know possibly looking at you know something that. Would have been you no, know, and what what an, the alternatives to the Fed would be when it was set up, and you know, I guess you no, know, the leading idea or competing idea there for it would be a system of free banking, and that's where you have you no know, multiple issue issuers of uh, currency that adhere to some form of a standard that makes it easy to translate from one to another, and that's how you do your commerce, uh, or that's how you develop or fund the uh, or provide the money that the economy needs to operate. Um, that's Know, a, a possibility there, and that's maybe something we're taking a step forward to. Uh, that would be useful in terms of like a direction for reform. Um, as far as you know, you know how how these things will happen. It's not a question of you no know, if; it's really more a question of when and how. Uh, so it's just you know, stay, stay tuned because you, know, you get to you know pay attention, see what you no know, say El Salvador is doing and what they're going to go through, try to figure out how to make Bitcoin work as a currency. I don't think they're going to have too much success with that, but we'll see how that plays out. But, you know, that's the great thing about, you know, having different people in different places doing different things. You can see what works and what doesn't. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's the one thing where it's like, you know, if the Fed goes the route of a digital dollar, it, it, it would I, – I don't – you know, I don't think I understand it. it with, with the intention of that, would it be to replace the U.S. dollar or is it a completely separate currency that would be in competition to the dollar? What are they saying? I would call it, I would call it a complement. Because that's so. 
you know, one of the things that you're missing are uh, the Bitcoin thing. You have you have something that's separate from it, but not necessarily integrated with it. So the ideal you know, currency that you want to have would be something that would tie into, you know, say, you know, you know, cur currencies as we know it today. And we're in, employing or developing, you know, the digital you know, versions of those that will be used in the future. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think the one thing that I have heard in terms of criticizing that is that two, two things would happen. This would basically advocate for the complete elimination of cash, which I, I, I tend to agree with Robert Kiyosaki and uh, Dave Ramsey, that even even in their most progressive tendencies that they might have as individuals on some finance topics, you know, there are too many rich people in the world that want cash. They, they want paper. They, they want to keep it that way. So I, I totally don't see that we would have a, an utter elimination of cash. I mean, it's within the realm of possibility, but it would significantly limit what you could do with cash. I think it's going to be harder for guys like you and myself to go out and make large purchases of cash. It's already been difficult for, for several decades now due to anti-drug uh, laws and anti-terrorism laws, anti-money laundering laws and stuff like that. But I, I see them like constricting the access and use of cash more so than them just outright eliminating it. And, and I guess the only thing that I could say, I, I could see in terms of a complement to a Fed coin, if we're going to use that ugly word, is that it forces the Fed to be more accountable as they understand that people are opting out of the dollar and they, they're going to these other currencies. That's where we're going to actually see some competition because no matter what the SEC says and everything else, like, you know, the, the genie's out of the bottle. I mean, people are actually beginning to see everyday you know, connections between what they do when they go pay for gas, go to the grocery store, buy stuff online. And they're seeing that when you've got places like Whole Foods, PayPal, USAA, they're integrating cryptocurrency capabilities. You know, no one's going to want to go away from that unless there's an, like an executive order outright banning it, which I don't think they have the constitutional authority to do. Um, you know, it's it, it's it would force the Fed to at least one, not print dollars as much as they would. But at the same time, it's like, you know, now that they're they're going to go ahead and understand that their power is threatened in a way. So instead of just wanting to clamp down what I hope and, you know, we're dealing with the Federal Reserve, my hopes only go so far, um, they, they would want to go ahead and advocate for any type of legislation that would stop the competition. I think they understand and by conceding the fact that maybe a digital dollar would be better, that cryptocurrencies are here to stay and that the only way they're going to have to go ahead and gain the trust of everyday consumers and investors and people who just want to go out and live their lives is to just stop destroying their own currency. And, you know, ideally, you know, that would be, you know, a you know, major factor in determining what they, what ultimately they decide to do and what they, the direction they decide to go with it. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and, and I mean, this is a complicated issue. I mean, I heard somebody talk about it the other day. It's like, you know, right now we're printing money and you think they're printing it fast. Imagine what happens when they can just go into the back end of a computer and just add a couple zeros. <laughs> like it's going, it's going like it, it's going to enable their worst tendencies, and, and that's a very valid concern. My my thing is though, for for everyday middle class people, and I'm a blue collar guy that is attempting to do something that a majority of Americans aren't able to do. I want to become financially independent within the next ten years, and I also want to be able to retire early, not so I can just sit on a beach somewhere and sip mimosas, but so that way I can work without having to necessarily worry about money being the big factor. 
actor. Um, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not in the catastrophist camp. I see a lot of people in the conservative and libertarian sphere uh, jump in right now, which is, I, I think, regardless of administration, of what administration, what party is in control, we're going to see the Fed do this. But at the end of the day, when you've got Jerome Powell basically saying, you know, this is worrying the hell out of me, that does show me that they understand what they're doing. And that as they see other examples throughout the world of hyperinflation, they know at the end of the day, like their livelihoods and everything else depends on that not happening. So I'm not a crypto maximalist. I, you know, I save, I invest, I do own other, you know, alternative currencies, Bitcoin, Ethereum, stuff like that. But I'm never going to just completely pull out of the dollar. And, and I see people arguing that online. They're like, it's happening, man. It's all tumbling down. We're going to go to Venezuela. And it's like, you know, when, when you appeal to fear like that, you're basically saying the world is ending tomorrow. And it's like a doomsday cult. The moment you do that, like, you know, you've just, you've just killed the chance to live a regular life. And at the end of the day, we just want to live a regular life. I, yeah, uh, I mean, I'm with you on that. I mean, I don't want to have to uh, do anything, uh, go out of my way to have to uh, figure out, you know, how I'm going to say, you know, preserve, you know, what I've you know, built up or established over my life or have, or how I go about or mean a living. Um, the being able to get to that point of independence uh, is nice, and you know, having you know the different alternatives available. I mean, it's it, it, it's revert is the proverbial you know putting all your eggs in one basket. If you, you know, keep it all one or all the or go all the way all the other down the down the uh, full prepper line, um, you really don't want to go there. Um, you do what's smart. And I, I mean, none of this is financial advice. I, I just want to go ahead and throw it out to people. What works for me might not work for you, but I, I mean, I think if we if we've touched on anything thus far, it's that you know things might be bad, but don't expect the whole world to collapse tomorrow within the next election or even anytime soon. I mean, there's there, there's a reason why the United States has been able to be along be around for as long as it has, despite bad administrations. It's because at the end of the day, the way that we have a separation of powers, the way that we have the laws written, it's really hard for one man or one party or one institution to just completely screw over the country to the point of no return. And people have tried. I mean, people have tried. Um, Craig, I... Oh, I, I, I cover yeah. aside. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> No, no. If I were named the worst president in history, it'd have to be Woodrow Wilson, and uh, even, uh, even he did what you know wasn't as disastrously, uh, you know, what you know wasn't the epitome of evil as far as that goes. So Jimmy Carter, you no, know, did as well as he could, but he was completely overwhelmed by what he had to deal with. Yeah. Um, one one thing we kind of touched on earlier, though, that we we didn't really jump into is trying to understand how how the commander in chief views the role of the fed in our country i mean i don't know what trump's view of the fed was as a candidate when he was running in 2016 he basically just said if we need to print more we're going to print more and then when he actually governed as you know as the president he, well he basically did exactly that it's like yeah you know you can cut taxes here and there but he was he was printing and spending at levels that a lot of republicans are really uncomfortable with i think biden is kind of the same way and it's not because i think he's stupid I think he just sees it as a natural tool at his disposal because, yeah, while, while, while you know, 
Um, while Congress has control of the money, you know, they control the purse of government, at the end of the day, he can just tell people, listen, if you're not going to go ahead and increase taxes, which he, he said he wants to do, but then he doesn't want to do it, and then he wants to come up with all these cockamamie reasons to do it and not do it at the same time, he, he's basically like dog whistling to everyone else in Congress and the Senate that, you know, it's like, you know, if we have to print, we'll just go ahead and print. What do you think his guiding philosophy is, if there is one, in terms of how he sees the government's role in spending to go after all these ailments that we currently have? And I mean, you wrote, you wrote about his uh, infrastructure bill and everything else, but more importantly, like, th- does he see the Fed as a problem or does he see the Fed as an asset? Well, I mean, he needs the Fed because it's an enabling, uh, it, it's something that he needs to enable what he wants to do. Um, with respect to Trump and Biden, there there actually is a pretty dramatic difference between the two of them with respect to spending. Um, Trump, believe it or not, was more fiscally disciplined than Biden aims to be. And by that, I'm looking at you know <clears throat> the budgets over the uh, years over that Trump was president, and I'm looking at the rate at which spending grew. And he basically, you know, his spending kept kept up with inflation and it kept up with population growth. And it was relatively flat with respect to what was happening during the last years of the Obama administration. So he really wasn't adding to the burden of spending the way that, say, Biden proposes to. Now, what Biden's after is to increase the amount of spending the government does by 28 to 36%. And, and the low end is because, no, that's, we're looking at 2023. The high end is when we get out to 2030. And this is the hypothetical last year of, or 2031, the hypothetical last year of his uh, proposed uh, budget that he just came out with uh, at the end of last month. The thing with Biden is that to have that level of increased spending is that you are already dealing with a situation is that we have with the coronavirus pandemic, if you think of you know, our ability to print money to deal with crisis situations, it's like, you know, the Federal Reserve is like an emergency reservoir. You, you, know, you say if you're fighting the forest fire, you want to have, you know, be able to pull out a bunch of water when you need to put out the fire. You, that's an asset for you to have. With the current situation, we've tapped the reservoir with the pandemic. We haven't done anything to replenish it, but Biden wants to keep hosing down uh, whatever it is that he wants to, to achieve whatever he's wanting to do with his spending. And that's kind of where, where, you know, the main difference between say, you know, a Trump policy versus a Biden policy is and what the potential impact is for the future. You think this is why no one ever really goes after the federal reserve though, because regardless as to how they see their opponents misusing it, they at least want to know that the option is there. And I do really mean that. I mean, every politician who has ever gone out and been an advocate for auditing the Fed, abolishing the Fed, reforming the Fed, I mean, no, no one, I don't, think you're, I don't think anyone really cares. Your voters certainly don't care, and other politicians absolutely don't care. But at the end of the day, even your most fiscally conservative Republican 
doesn't ever want to really speak out against it. Ted Cruz did for like a year. And then when he, you know, didn't become the nominee, he stopped talking about it. We haven't heard him talk about it since. Rand Paul never talks about the Fed. Thomas Massey barely talks about the Fed anymore. Justin Moss wants to talk about it now, but he's no longer in Congress. So he has nothing to really lose at this point. <laughs> I think I think that everybody basically has come to this understanding that it's there. And much like other institutions of power, they might want to limit the other guy's access and use of it, but they want it to be there when they're sitting in the Oval Office. I think that's a fair enough statement. I mean, that's, you know, ultimately, you know, politicians get in and they run for office because they want to achieve certain things, um, whether it's because they're ego driven or because they really care about people, um, you know, it, the, the rationale doesn't matter. But once you're there, you need to have the tools to be able to do what you want. And the Fed is a tool when when all is said and done. Yeah. Um, Craig, those are basically all the questions I have, um, you know, I, I had written down for you. Um, I know you don't have a crystal ball. You might not be able to answer this, but in terms of just what your gut is telling you about what Biden is currently doing with having the Fed, you know, basically print at his will as he continues to spend out of control as he has, what, what do you think we're going to see near terms in terms of the rate of which we're spending on all these stupid projects while at the same time inflating the dollar to a point where when, you know, grandma up the road is like, ah, this is getting kind of scary. And when millennials are like making Jerome Powell money printer memes, I mean, it's at the point where it's like people are actually starting to pay a little bit of attention to this. Well, I, I think, you know, if I'm going to use history as a guide, the thing that would uh, be, be the red flag, and that would be, you know, we kind of have, with respect to what the Fed's doing with the money printing and such, uh, and with respect to the inflation that's been generated, with respect to the inflation that's been generated by the spending the government has done, you know, you're kind of looking at like a situation is what happened when uh, you know, Richard Nixon was it was in office and, you know, inflation started to get you know out of control. It started rising and got to a level where he started to really worry about it. So his solution to that was to impose price controls. And that was you know, anything that you would buy, anything or, or even the wage you would make on your job. That was something that was subject to approval. Uh, by the federal government, if you were to uh, you know get a raise or seek a price increase, and that opened up a world of hurt, and that's not something I think we'd ever want to repeat. That's one of the main factors that drove the uh, you know the U.S.'s only real previous ex- you know experience with hyperinflation, which you know, was in recent memory anyway, was in the 1970s, and that was one of the factors that contributed to that. So that would be the thing to watch out for. I mean, that, that alone, if I wasn't even thinking about that, but now since you bring that up, that is something that I definitely see them at least attempting to do, um, that, yeah, great. Thanks for giving me something else to worry about, Craig. Um, (laughs) sir, I, I had a, I had a, I had a a great conversation. Thank you for letting me ask my stupid questions and pick your brain. If anyone wants to go ahead and keep up with your work and see everything else that you've done and continue to do over at the independent Institute and yourself privately, how could they do so? Uh, well, at the uh, Independent Institute is the best place. At the uh, the Beacon is the name of the main blog there, and that's where most of my uh, pieces appear. So if you go to independent.org and you search out for the Beacon or the Beacon blog, you'll find it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Greg.
All right. Thank you so much. And uh, it's a pleasure speaking with you today, Lorenzo. Absolutely. Folks, if there's one thing I'm going to ask you, it's this. It costs you nothing, but it means everything to me. A five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, wherever you're listening to the show across Al Gore's amazing internet. It lets people know about the conversations that we're having, why they matter to you, and it keeps this message going. So please, a five-star rating and review wherever you're listening to podcasts. As always, we'll be back later in the week. Be safe, take care, and I'll talk to you later.